made the church to be your community. And when it's done right, it's the best way to live. Former Secretary General of the United Nations, Dag Hammarskjöld, once said, What makes loneliness and anguish is not that I have no one to share my burden, but this, I have only my own burden to bear. Interesting, eh? I'll say it one more time. I saw that look on some of your faces. What makes loneliness and anguish is not that I have no one to share my burden, but is this, I have only my own burden to bear. As you know, a long time ago, uh, some research was done in in, uh, Vancouver, and what was interesting, the research came back on what the biggest problem in Vancouver was, and one of the biggest problems in Vancouver was loneliness. Not housing crisis, not economics or anything like that, it was loneliness. So as you read some of that stuff, and as I read below the comments, it's interesting that people have lived all over the world, but for some reason, they find it hard to connect with people in Vancouver. Weird, huh? And I still, I'm not sure if they figured that out yet, but it's food for thought. It's food for thought. And I wonder if sometimes that's also a little bit of a descriptor of what happens in church. I find it interesting how many people I come across, I used to go to church, or if I had friends like this, then I'd go be in church like I used to be, or whatever. They always have a story, and I find it interesting how many people don't go to church anymore that used to go to church. And hopefully that's none of you. At some point, you'll used to go to church because perhaps you'll get hurt here. So I got to say right off the bat, there's probably, you probably will get hurt in this congregation. You probably will be offended. But the whole journey here that we're trying to say that it's good to be together is it's good to be together. You will be offended and you will offend others. That doesn't mean you should try, but (laughs) but we're trying to see that Families too. Like think about your own family. Sometimes you can't stand your sister. And on other days you can't wait to see her. Well, the same thing is here is we're hoping that in the mature response that we have as we're growing in maturity is that we can all say it's good to be together. Wow. Harmon, that's why he's chairman. He's sharp. The rest of you, I don't know. know? That's why we all say together, it's good to be together. Right? An ancient Jewish proverb says, a friendless man is like the left hand bereft of the right. A friendless man is like the left hand bereft of the right. So today we actually want to take a look at a really interesting book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a fantastic book. It's a book that uh, was almost ahead of its time in the way that you can give that to a kiddo today and they will connect with a lot of it because it just simply says meaningless, meaningless or vanity upon vanities. Uh, the writer has tried all sorts of stuff right from partying to lots of money to community to wives to marriage, everything and meaningless, meaningless, meaningless if you're just after hedonism or if you're just after simply trying to enjoy life to your own glory. So that's what we're looking at today, and it all connects to the video we just saw and to the title of what we're looking at today is The Value of Connection, The Value of Connection. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's near the end of the Old Testament, 
therefore very near the beginning of the new. But Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. And you've probably heard of this before if you've been to any weddings. Sometimes it's used for a wedding uh, passage. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Or in the NIV, it says uh, it's a good return for their labor. We're speaking from the NLT this morning. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Riveting passage, actually, isn't it? It covers quite a bit of stuff, and it's what we have to remember as we look at the background. This, the writer, which I would lean toward being Solomon, and Solomon was given an opportunity to ask God anything he wanted, and he says, I want wisdom. And that was just a fabulous answer because God gave him wisdom and riches. But this is one of the wisest men that has ever walked the face of this earth. And yet, he didn't always apply his wisdom. As you look in Ecclesiastes, there's some things that we get to see now in Ecclesiastes that the writer looks back and it's like his memoirs are going, I tried this, I tried that, and this didn't work. That definitely didn't work. Never try this. But this seems to be pretty cool. So we actually get to almost look into his diary that was penned uh, through him by the Holy Spirit of God. So we're lucky. And Ecclesiastes, the background of it, it actually comes the word Ecclesiastes comes from a Greek word indicating a person who calls an assembly together. So it's kind of an assembly, or even when we talk about ecclesiology, when we get together as pastors, we're talking about the study of the church or the study of the assembly, ecclesiology. And how important ecclesiology is, sometimes people ask me to, to do things outside the church. They want me to baptize them. They're from some other place. And I said, it's really important that you try and be baptized within your assembly or your ecclesi ecclesia. So those are the people that witness it. They're encouraged. And they also get to keep you accountable and you get to grow in that ecclesia or in that assembly, if that makes any sense. So here, that's what we're talking about. Ecclesiastes comes from... That word, calling people together as an assembly. And he quickly calls himself, in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 1, he uses a Hebrew word called koheleth, translated preacher. So here the preacher is talking to an assembly, and he's pretty much giving, him a, giving us a page of his journal. So before we jump in, I want you to remember that even though he's giving all this negative stuff and he's giving us all sorts of different details of his background, I want you to keep in mind that the whole velvet behind this diamond of a book is that God, the same character in the Old Testament that goes all the way to the New Testament revelation that is with us today, I want you to know and remember that his character is chesed, that his loving kindness, his, his covenant with us, he pursues us. He's gone to great lengths to have a relationship with each and every one of us. That's the background I want you to know right now, that that is the God we're studying. And also, he is a God that loves to talk about shalom, which is that New Testament word that's been adopted from the Old Testament, that he's very interested 
in the, the, the peace that surpasses all understanding in every part of your wholeness. Your emotions, your intellect, your spirit, your relationships, everything. He's interested in all of that. So with hindsight, one of the wisest men penned these verses. So one of the first things that I want you to see is this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed or in NIV it says they have a good return for their labor. So basically what he's saying is two really beats one when it comes to work. Wouldn't you agree? I sure would. In fact, there's something weird out there, a leadership term that's been flogged everywhere is that, that term called synergy. And synergy um, is defined by this, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations or substances or other agents to produce a combined effect that is greater than the sum of their separate effects. So if I'm working over there and Norma's working over here, that's fantastic. But if we actually get together and work here and then we work over there, we'll actually be better off than if we just worked on our own projects. Does that make sense? That's pretty wild. When you think of it, like think about pushing out your car. You, you hit the snow bank in Manitoba. You can't get it out and you're pushing, pushing, pushing. Mike's in the other dish, push, push, push. It's probably, hey, Mike, you want to give me a hand? And then he pushes me out and then I take off. Or, I mean, then I go over <laughs> and help him with his car. Right? Synergy. And I've been thinking about that because I've been missing some synergy. Tennyson was off on our Barbadian holiday and Ken passed away, I think it marks two years ago now, just, just the two-year mark. And Weston's not around. And, and what's happened now with intent, she's been sporadically in this last week. Ugh, when I'm just working by myself, it's just like, gee whiz, it's not that fun. You know? I like hanging out with other people because really there's a synergy that happens when we get together in staff meetings, there's creative stuff that just bounces off and I can bring an idea that I thought was fantastic and done and then all of a sudden Tennyson ruins it and Intan sharpens it and it comes together and then all of a sudden out comes this beautiful, beautiful map of what I thought was perfect but now it's way better because of synergy. When we work together, not only do we seem to have the synergy but I think with work together, we also have an accountability. I think you know that, that if you're totally off on your own all the time, yeah, some of you are crazy driven people, but if we actually have people to work with, there's an accountability to show up on, the ta on time, there's accountability to do your job, but also there's accountability, I think, to be better, to put your best foot forward. Energy, creativity, synergy. So he nails it right there. Two people are better off than one. I think we can all agree with that. But then he goes on to say, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. So he's giving us a picture into really the lay of the land into when he's talking about in the times of, uh, or what was happening in the um, rocky areas of the hill country in Palestine. Many ups and downs. So if you're walking by yourself, you could first of all twist your ankle and hurt yourself and nobody's around for miles. Or it could be that robbers or thieves could be hiding behind a crag in the rock and then all of a sudden your safety is in jeopardy because you have no protection. So he's saying it's better to walk with somebody than to walk by yourself. It's better to walk with somebody than to walk by yourself. And that makes a whole lot of sense to me physically, but I think it also makes a whole lot of sense spiritually. 
think back to even when you became a Christian or let's say there's even an area in your life where the Lord seems to be putting his finger on and he's saying, I think you need to grow in this area. If you totally are on your own, it's pretty easy to let that growth slip, don't you think? But yet when we come into a mentoring relationship or when we come into an iron sharpens iron kind of a relationship, then, oh yeah, I got small group this week. I better do my homework. Or yeah, we've been working on this passage together. Or, oh yeah, uh, no doubt Mike's going to ask me about my marriage, so I better make sure I'm treating my wife well or whatever. You know what I'm saying? There's this accountability when we're walking together. But I think he's talking about physical with a hint toward the spiritual with a hint toward the spiritual how grateful it is when we actually have people that come alongside and help us on our paths i know my wife for instance has a fantastic core group of ladies that are so trustworthy and uh, have the same values and i as a husband am very thankful for that because I know that they're building into her and she is even a better wife because of her relationship with those ladies. And I'm after the same kind of friendships. In fact, there's times in marriage counseling where I sometimes say to guys, you know, I think it's time to maybe stop hanging out with those guys and start paying attention to these guys, which will help you become a better man, a better husband, a better person in general. But sometimes people don't do that. They think they can still go to the pubs with the good old boys the way they used to before they got married, and then they find themselves in trouble. So here he really is talking about coming alongside and walking with each other, but I think it's really important that we realize how incredible it is to walk with somebody in our Christian walk. And let me just give you a little pointer with uh, Galatians chapter 6, which we'll look more in depth on a different Sunday. But Galatians chapter 6 Verses 1 to 2, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if somebody is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out, or watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love this passage, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, because it says, if somebody is caught in sin, and no doubt somebody will, somebody will be caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Why should restore him gently? Any guesses? Huh? Or grace or something I heard here? Love and grace, yeah. Why should we restore each other gently? Harsh doesn't work. Like, there's all sorts of cool reasons why, but restore each other gently. And one of the reasons is, you know what? There's probably a day where I'm going to have to be restored. So if I've been a big fat jerk to Dale, my time's are coming, right? So this is really important. And like has been said here, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't be mean when you say it. I mean, there's been times where somebody might have been absolutely right, like 1,000% right, but he's being a jerk in communicating to me. Do you think I want to receive that advice? No, and I won't. But if somebody is humble and comes and relates something to me and it makes sense and it sinks into my heart, it's just like, wow, I want to change. I want to become a better man or a better husband, whatever that might be. If somebody is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
But there's this thing that says, but watch yourselves because you also may be tempted and then carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So one of our goals, you guys, is never to beat each other up. Never to think, I knew it. I knew he was a fake. I, I, you know, no. Our job is to restore one another. Somebody said a long time ago that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And so often when people go through divorce or through hurt or through depression or have anxiety, we're just like, Whoa. awkward. And we don't know how to react. That's why I'm glad that some stuff is more and more coming out because there are very hard and very awkward situations and conditions that, yep, we got to deal with. And our desire is to restore people to fellowship of the saints right here and fellowship with their father. Really important that we're part of that ministry. So working together for synergy and creativity and accountability and walking together, because when we walk together, we have a protection uh, physically, but also spiritually, restore each other. It goes on to say, and two people that are together also, also have warmth. So we always use this in the whole marriage thing, which probably is a good thing. But the world can be a cold and lonely place. And I kind of think that this is showing us the warmth that two people bring is good physically because those cold nights, if you're sleeping overnight in the Palestinian um, geography, you obviously need to be close to somebody because you need whatever warmth you can get. But also, I think that warmth that is also emotional that comes through a friendship or being with somebody else. It's no surprise that it's much warmer to lie with somebody than by yourself. Having a good friend, again, as iron sharpens iron, warmth. I think this passage also points toward collaboration. And I've always liked that word because we always talked about cooperation when I was a kid. But collaboration is much more than just cooperating because all of us can cooperate even if we don't like each other. But collaboration is hopefully that place where we actually come together and doesn't matter who gets the glory, but we actually try and reach the same goal together. And we collaborate for the same goal together. So we need to live selflessly and celebrate each other's accomplishments and responses. I say this to you because this isn't always easy. My wife's been mentoring me on this one because sometimes when something good happens to somebody else, do you ever have that tinge that, gee whiz, why, did he, why does he get all the lucky breaks? Huh? Am I the only one? Honestly, come on. Because sometimes I'm totally jealous or sometimes I'm going, why do I have this condition? Or why am I sick again? Or why does he get a lucky financial break? But Jody's really good at actually celebrating. Even though it doesn't happen to her, us, whatever, she's great at celebrating, even when I have that tinge of jealousy. And I just look at her and I really admire that, learning to celebrate other people's successes. It's really cool, it'll change your mindset. Because it's the worst actually hanging out with somebody that's always, well, that sucks. I mean, why does Helga get all this and I don't get this and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, wow, you are a drain to hang out with. <laughs> but if you actually learn to celebrate other people, you're a joy to be around. You're a joy to be around. I think this passage also points to a protection. 
the verse says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Zelki, can I get you to stand up? I know this is horrible that I'm doing this to you. But I did this one time, if you put your back toward me. Okay. So I did this one time, just like this. I was asked to speak at a national uh, conference, and they gave me the passage that says, and lead us not into temptation. So there, I got everybody to stand back to back like this, and we prayed protection over each other. So if somebody's coming for him, I got his back. And I've watched some ninja movies, you guys. You do not want to mess with me. And the same thing with him. If somebody's coming for me, it's right. Look at that. Look at that. Thank you. Right on. I think I'm, I'm luckier in that situation. <laughs> but it's really important to realize that we have each other's back. And at this conference that I had people stand back to back, it was very interesting because I was given that portion of Scripture and lead us not into temptation. And I shared a way too personal um, illustration of a time where I was really, really tempted and I knew it, nobody else knew it, but I knew in the heart of hearts that I was really tempted by something. And it was very interesting because it was that weekend, you guys, that weekend where I was just given five minutes to talk about, let's be careful, let's have each other's back and lead us not into temptation. That very day or the next day, uh, the leader of our denomination was found out that he was having an affair. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it was interesting because I was very proud of our denomination because he was set aside and a whole plan was made for him to be restored. Isn't that cool? Doesn't mean the person will always respond to that restoration process, but that's not our problem. Our problem is our goal is to restore. We have to have each other's backs. You got to trust the people that have your back. I also, as a young man, I got to tour, and uh, I was on the singing tour, and I remember, I was single, so I remember getting out of the van and being greeted by a beautiful woman. I usually don't notice that, because I'm a pastor. I don't notice beauty, you know? But nonetheless, I jumped out of the van, and there was this beautiful woman, and I was like, whoa. And it's very interesting, because as a young man, I don't know, as a young man, this impressed me, because as soon as I jumped out of the van, and I was like, wow, she's beautiful, then she started to say, welcome here. And she said, sorry, my husband couldn't be there. And she actually started to brag about her husband. Not in a like, ah, oh, but actually in a, she was so proud and she admired her husband. And I took note that day years ago, you guys, that was probably 25, 30 years ago, that I was going, whatever I get, I sure want a woman that I can trust like that. He's nowhere to be seen, but it's obvious to me and everybody around that she loves and honors and admires her husband. Isn't that cool? And I think that's what we need. And as a young man, that so impressed me. He says, that's what I need in my marriage. I want to be able to go away or I want her to be able to go away and we trust each other and we admire each other even when the pressure's not on. Even when she's not in earshot, she knows that I love her and admire her. In fact, when we were going through a tough time with my, with, uh, my oldest, it was, I was saying to somebody like, ah, it just drives me crazy. And you know, this is confidential because he's putting us through this and it just drives me nuts and I just wouldn't want him to hear this. And the guy just says quietly in a, in a wise, gentle kind of way, he says, yeah, I can understand that. Or how cool would it be if your kid actually caught you 
or overheard you speaking admiration about him or what you appreciate about him, even when times are tough. I think he's got something there. I think he's got something there. There's dangers to being alone. There's dangers to being alone. And I think that it's a strategy of the evil one. I really do. I think it's a strategy of the evil one to sift us and to get us alone. I think he wants you to be alone. He wants you to feel depressed. He wants you to feel sorry for yourself. Or maybe when you're off on some kind of stupid thought, now we have the internet, so you can find some harebrained person out there that'll back you up. (laughs) But you go back to the whole context of this, we're walking with friends that have our backs. So that friend has my back, protects me, and also protects me to the point where if I'm going to do something stupid, that person might turn around and go, uh, <clears throat> wait a second, what are you doing? And we need this. I watch marriages and stuff fall apart because this is not going on in their marriage. We've got to have accountability. We've got to have friendships that help us sharpen our pencil. And as iron sharpens iron, so a friend should sharpen a friend. It is the evil one's strategy to sift you, to get you alone. You think of Peter when he denied Jesus. He was off by himself, and he was just so depressed, he went off, went fishing again. Just didn't want to be with people. And he was pulling away from the ecclesia. He was pulling away from the assembly. He was pulling away from the church. He was pulling away from the other disciples, his friends. There's a danger Imagine how the devil lies. And here's some of his lies. Here's some of his lies. You are the only one in this room that struggles with depression. That's right. You're the only person in here. You're the only person in this room that doesn't know how to trust the Lord, so you have anxiety. You're the only person in here that struggles with that. You're the only person in this room that doesn't have self-control and you don't know how to lose weight. You're the only person. You might as well go be by yourself. You know that you actually, you look around. You're the only family with a rebellious child. You don't know how to raise a kid. You know you're the only one who can't get your lust under control. Nobody else, everybody else in here is totally pure in thought. You're the only one. You know, you're the only one. You are the only one in this room that has some struggles and doubts about your faith. That's how he likes to lie and get you alone. And pretty soon, you're not getting together with people that have your back. You don't have that protection. You don't have that correction and that restoration even in your mind and in your spirit that, whoa, I'm actually going off Because let me tell you, you can easily pave a road to poor thinking in your own mind and heart. I think all of us know somebody that's done that. They keep spiraling down, 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 down to the point where you have created a lovely highway to poor thinking because you don't have a friend that just says, what are you thinking, Dirksen? Hold the bus. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to sharpen each other. The writer of Ecclesiastes points out the benefits of uh, 
and the strength of having two instead of one. But he concludes this passage, most interestingly, with another verse, and he says, three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So I think he's turning toward a few things there. Obviously, last week we talked about koinonia. Koinonia is coming together in assembly and sharing with each other, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we're together, not by ourselves. So if two is good, three is even better. But we also like to jump into the New Testament on this one. I think it's okay to do. Uh, is we realize that in a good friendship or in a good marriage, that third strand often needs to be the strength that we find in Jesus Christ. I think we can do that. That third strand, you guys, it doesn't mean your life would be peachy or your marriage would be perfect. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with anxiety. But it does mean that you have a presence with you from the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that will walk with you through that illness, through that anxiety, through that depression, through that loneliness. And it's, that's the reason we come together today, you guys. Each one of us is at different parts of the journey, but we're all here to look toward Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And when we come together, we have this koinonia, we have this community, and we have our focus on Jesus Christ. So I think this is a fantastic and a beautiful passage that turns us toward this thought of not being alone. And I want to quote a little bit from Chuck Swindoll. He says, we all desire meaning in life. Often that search takes us along winding up and down paths filled with bursts of satisfaction that shine bright for a time, but they eventually fade. In one sense, it's satisfying to see that experience echoed through the book of Ecclesiastes. An appreciation for our common humanity emerges from reading its pages. We relate to the, the journey of Solomon because for so many of us, it's our own journey. When we attempt to find meaning in the pursuit of pleasure, the commitment to a job, or through plumbing intellectual depths, we all eventually find in each of these pursuits a dead end. Ecclesiastes, Swindoll goes on to say, shows us a man who lived through this process and came out on the other side with a wiser, more seasoned perspective. When we're surrounded by the temptation to proclaim life's ultimate emptiness, we can find in Ecclesiastes a vision tempered by experience and ultimately seen through divinely colored lenses. Life is destined to remain unsatisfying apart from our recognition of God's intervention. It only remains to be seen whether or not we will place our trust in his sure and able hands. I like that. I like that. So if you're struggling with something today, I think Ecclesiastes is a great book for you to check it out. Because there's a guy that tried everything under the sun. And he came to the conclusion, meaningless or vanity upon vanities. And we know that he also nails in there that each one of us has eternity in our hearts. Each one of us is born with a void or that place that's only filled with eternal purpose. A connection with the almighty God. 
But we all know that we try and jam that void with something or somebody or more money. But that spot is created for Christ alone. So, are you connected? Are you connected? Do you value connections? I know some of you may be thinking instantly today, well, nobody wants to connect with me. And there you go off on a spiral of negative thinking. Well, that's another sermon. And I hope that even today that if that's what went through your head, that do you want to be connected or do you value connections? If you start thinking, well, nobody, stop. And one of the best things you can do this week is stop that self-talk because that's a bunch of baloney. But secondly, I would encourage you then become a person that people want to connect with. That doesn't mean you give up your values or it's about a popularity contest. No, no, no. It's just like if you're kind of a drag to be around, <laughs> negative and all that stuff, I think it's time that, uh, like Mitch said uh, weeks back, is the uh, best way to start your day or a good uh, boost for your marriage is put your slippers under the bed. And when you wake up in the morning, you have to get down on your knees to get your slippers. I like that. And while you're down there, you might as well give thanks for that lady or that man you've been sleeping beside. And then also give thanks for five things. Start your day with Thanksgiving instead of belly aching. Right? And that's a discipline today too. So I'd encourage all of us this morning that we need to be connected in friendships. Be the friend that you're looking for. And look for a friendship like that. We can have all sorts of friends, but it's really important that we have good, solid friends that have our backs like Zelke had my back. Somebody that'll have a tough conversation, somebody that I can have fun with, but somebody that'll encourage me too, somebody that'll celebrate my victories. Maybe even somebody that'll say, man, I heard what happened and I'm so sorry, and will just be there for me. And I repeat what I said at the beginning. Dag Hammersgold once wrote, what makes loneliness and anguish is not that I have no one to share my burden, but this, I only have my own burden to share. You guys, it's good to be together. Let's say that. It's good to be together. Don't you agree? And I hope from Ecclesiastes we realize that uh, when we work together, when we walk together, when we get to protect each other, there's no better place to be because we come together in the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I can't believe sometimes how old some of this is and how incredible it is to our day today. We come together in the ecclesia, the, the uh, assembly, the church, community, the friends. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that today, whatever self-talk we had when I said, try this, I pray in the name of Jesus that Everybody here that had that, well, nobody wants to connect with me, that this day and the rest of this week, they would stop that spiral and that they would start soaking in what God thinks of them. And then they would be filled with the presence of God. They'd be filled with shalom. They would be filled realizing that the Lord wants a relationship and that gives them worth. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help them be connected in a small group or help them be connected in a friendship, in uh, an area of service where other folks come around and are able to protect them 
able to encourage them, able to work with them, walk alongside them, able to celebrate with them, Lord. I pray for Koinonia in this fellowship right here, Lord. Thank you for your word. And I pray that we would continue to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you with a blessing and then I'll have the worship team uh, dismiss us. So I think it's appropriate to go with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Amen.